Good morning, church family. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to read together from verse 40 through to 42, just three verses today. But before we do so, I invite you to join me in prayer with the prayer that is located in the worship folder. Let us pray together. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit, that as the Scriptures are read and your Word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. Matthew chapter 10, reading from verse 40. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. This is the word of the Lord. In March of 1998, uh, I got tricked. I think a, an appropriate word to use is I got duped into taking a 63-hour road trip across Canada. Uh, it was in a friend of mine's car, a 1978 Chevy Caprice that was put together by the parts from several other cars. The people who duped me into this was my wife, along with two of our friends at college. And we embarked on this road trip from Calgary all the way to PEI, which included multiple traffic stops. Let's just say this caprice drew attention for the wrong reasons. I experienced what it meant to sit in the back of a police cruiser. The heater cord broke as we were making our way through the prairies. And uh, the car got so cold that the fried chicken we had just purchased froze right in the bucket. And as we eventually entered the Atlantic provinces, we were met with what was one of the most significant snowstorms that winter. As I reflect upon this trip, which was motivated largely by my desire to hang out with Ruthann, uh, I also remember the uncertainty that welled up inside me as we arrived in PEI and pulled into the driveway of her parents' home. Uh, this was not the, the normal jitters, uh, you know, a prospective boyfriend would have in meeting the parents of the girl he is interested in, uh, but the kind of uncertainty that was intensified by my own insecurities surrounding my upbringing in a segregated culture. As we drove in, I wondered how <laughs> would her parents welcome me? I feared the worst and was hoping for the best. To my relief and joy, of course, my fears were quickly allayed. I was greeted with a warm embrace, a few questions related to the geography of South Africa. Her parents really needed help there an offer of a home-cooked meal followed by a gift of wool socks that was so thick that it stood upright without my feet in it. I don't think that my in-laws quite realized how I was feeling up until this warm welcome. 
But their gracious welcome of me became so significant in my own experience of life, given where I came from and what I had gone through, that it changed me and began to be a part of the very healing to my own wounds of segregation and racism. In the summer of 1998, uh, I was done my first uh, semester at uh, CNC, and I went and, and, and served as a summer student in Lethbridge, Alberta. Now, I would learn, for those of you who don't know much about Lethbridge, that Lethbridge is, uh, is, is, is the LA of Canada, you know, Lethbridge, Alberta. Uh, it is also known as the Windy City here in Alberta. And when the church invited me to come and be the summer student, the way that they set it up so that they could afford having me there was to have me stay in the home of different parishioners every two weeks for the duration of the summer. The first home I stayed in was the home of our children's pastor, Jen Tatry. Her dad and mom, uh, they had me in their home. He was the pastor of the church. And, and, and it was a great time. I, I learned about the passion and, 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 and love for hockey in that home. I saw it firsthand. And then as I uh, moved out of that home, I, I went to stay in the home of Wayne and Linda Epp and their daughters, Candace and Michelle. I was given the basement apartment, or the basement of the home, and in the basement was this little, this little uh, closet. It, it, I call it the closet of goodness. Uh, inside the closet was gummy bears, like boxes of it, like pop chips. It, it was just, it was like a, a, a college student's dream little closet. And not only did I have access, full access to what was ever in the closet, but the way in which Wayne and Linda and Candace and Michelle welcomed me into that in their home made such an impression upon me that we kind of became really good friends. In fact, so much so that today my children know them as family. Wayne is Grampy and Linda is Grammy, Auntie Candace and Auntie Michelle. In fact, uh, Lunder has come and been with us when Ruthann had our children all the way in Ontario. She was there like my mom would have been if she was alive. I don't know if any of those folks in the church that had me stay in their homes realized what a significant difference they made to me when I experienced such generous hospitality, when I experienced being welcomed into their homes as a stranger and loved on in the practical ways they did. You see, I, I think we live today in a culture that welcome is not the disposition of many people's lives. We are perhaps more afraid than we've been before, and there's certainly a lot of reasons why people are concerned about opening their lives or opening their homes to others. But our text today, in its brevity, is a text about what it means to live in the ways of Jesus. It is a text about welcoming, a term that can easily be overlooked and undervalued, a posture of the disciples' life, if you will, a practice that is authentically Christian and biblical. And if we are to open our eyes to the ways of Jesus, I want to suggest to us today that we must look at the Scripture and ask ourselves whether, in fact, we understand what it means to live a welcoming life. My friends, I want to say to you, with all the love that I have for you as a pastor, that the church must be 
the representation of Jesus in this world, and we must look more and more like Him in a world that is growing in its fear and its anxiety for others, and we must become more and more the people whose lives look so much like Jesus that people will begin to believe that God indeed can make a difference in their lives. If I could frame it differently, I would say to you that, that Jesus' ministry was about creating space for others. In John chapter 14, for example, we read Jesus speaking to His disciples when He says this, In my Father's house, He says, are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see, what Jesus asked His disciples to do in, in chapter 10 of the gospel is what Jesus Himself is intending to do for everyone. He's intending to create a space, a place, a place of fellowship, a place of knowing, not only Him, but the Father. In fact, Jesus says it this way, when you welcome others as I have welcomed you, you are also included and welcomed into the house of the Father. You see, the ministry of Jesus is, is, is the kind of ministry that, that, that seeks to open up the opportunities for people to know God. And it is the kind of disciples who follow Jesus who begin to look like Him in the way in which they respond to the opportunities around them to become the kinds of people that are defined by such a gracious spirit and such a gracious attitude. But you know, when Jesus sends these disciples out and He, he says they have to rely upon the welcome or the hospitality of others and, and, and they have to go to homes that, that some may just keep the door closed. <laughs> he, he paints for them a picture that when we try to live this kind of gracious life, that it's not always easy. Uh, people don't always know how to interpret uh, genuine care or hospitality. People don't know sometimes whether they can trust us Christians. I, I think I, I like that Jesus prepares them for rejection. Uh, you know, I, I don't like to be rejected, and I don't think many of us do. Uh, I don't like people not to like me. But it seems that even when one has this desire to do the good things of God and to be the kind of people we should be, that Jesus would warn us, don't think that because you stand for the right things and want to live in this generous, open way, that everybody would be open to what you have to offer. I think that sometimes what keeps us from hospitality is the fear that we would be rejected. And, and, and when I look at the life of Jesus Himself, I, I see that He wasn't always accepted. He wasn't always received. And sometimes I think we as Christians put ourselves above Jesus. You know, no student is above the Master, He says earlier on. Sometimes we expect that things would be easier because we deserve easier. Maybe we think that when we start to live in the ways of Jesus, there won't be closed doors. But Jesus says to His disciples, when the door is closed, then wipe your feet off and move on. And, and that's not callousness. That is simply recognizing that 
the grace of God that is being extended through us to others is not one that is abrasive. It doesn't push itself upon people. We don't enforce our values or our beliefs on just anyone, but it is the kind of grace that comes with a gentleness, a humility. In fact, Jesus refers to His disciples as little ones. Uh, he, he's talking about a disposition in which we go as hospitable ones, not, not wanting to, to overrun people with our thoughts and our ideas and our truths, but simply to show up with the grace of the Lord, of Je the Lord Jesus Christ within our lives so that we would represent to those who would receive us the opportunity to know the Father. I think one could sum up the ministry of Jesus as making a place for everyone in the house of God. And I would say, if we are going to be the kind of church that does the same, then we need to be welcoming. I, I, I have so many stories. I, I, I thought, I would, you know, when I was writing this, I thought, maybe I'll tell you about, you know, the, the trip across Canada, and I'll tell you about my Lethbridge experience. But, but I could tell you so many other stories of how Christians, in particular, has played this incredible role in my life. It's not just about inviting me into their homes, but it was making me feel like I was loved. It was allowing me to experience grace. It was allowing me to see the tangible love of God. And, and I think that when Jesus says to his disciple, as you live this way, you are doing something significant. You, you, you are bringing me to people. I, I want us to hear as the church in the current prevailing culture, that this is kind of the work that we should be doing. It's strange to speak of this right now because we're not really allowed in each other's homes. It's so weird. Uh, you know, people walk into the door here at the church for different things that we have had, and, and we have to kind of say, no touch. <laughs> it's probably one of the worst times to speak about what it means to be welcoming and embracing of people, but perhaps it is also one of the most opportune times because what this pandemic is doing is it is showing us the desire and need within all humanity to be embraced, to be touched, to be noticed, to be welcomed. We, we crave it, we desire it, we want it. No human being is created to be on their own. Whether you are an introvert who likes your alone time, you still need people, still desire relationship. And I know it might be weird to say this to us now, but my friends, the posture of those who know Jesus, the posture of those who knows the hospitality of God extended to them are the ones that must become hospitable to absolutely everyone. Now, I thought about this, and I thought, okay, I can, you know, say a lot about this text, but I, I wondered what keeps us from living welcoming lives. Uh, I, I sometimes think that the, the voice of the church is God loves you, but the people outside might wonder if we do. <laughs> and I think one of the reasons why welcome is so hard for us is because some of us don't feel very secure in God's welcome of us. You see, insecure people don't really trust much. Uh, insecure people don't necessarily know how to be gracious. I'm not suggesting that we're all insecure, but I, I do wonder if the starting point to overcoming this fear and anxiety to be the kind of people we are called to be is to recognize that 
that God's posture towards you and me is welcome. Come on in. I love the scripture that says, come to me all who are are weary and burdened. (laughs) Come to me and I will give you rest. You know, Jesus is the kind of person that says, there's room for you here. There's more than room for you here. There's healing for you here. There's peace for you here. There's rest for you with me. And the level to which we believe that we are received of God that, that, that way is, I think, directly going to influence how gracious we are in receiving other people. Those who have been welcomed well must welcome others well. Let me say this to you. When people had me in their homes the way they did, when my family loved me the way that they did, it changed how I feel about my own space and my own home. I want others to be present. I want others to feel welcome. And maybe there are some of us today who says, you know, Stu, I, I question sometimes whether I'm worth loving, whether, whether God actually is okay with me. I, I, I live most times kind of thinking he's upset with me or he's angry with me. I, I, I'm not very secure because I'm still dealing with that issue in my life or I haven't forgiven this person or I'm, I'm wrestling with something. I want you to hear the invitation, come to me. Come to me. All who are harassed and helpless, all who are struggling, all who are burdened, all who feel the weight of all that is going on in our world, all that feels this enormous challenge that stands before us in a world that is so divided, all that fears, all that is anxiety, come to me and I will give you rest. I welcome you. This is the words of Jesus to the church. And when we respond to him, listen, we can go many places. We can read many books. We can learn from many people. But we must respond first and foremost to the one who welcomes us unto himself. And it doesn't end when we become Christian. We learn to come to him because he's consistently present and wanting to be in our lives all that he can be. And so very simply put, I want to ask you, When is the last time you trusted that when you turn to God, He would not turn away from you? When is the last time that you brought your concerns, your burdens, your pain, your hurt, your fears before Him? When is the last time you laid before Him like the psalmist said as we heard, read, and cried out for His rescue and His help? My friends, The ability to love as He loved is to come first to know His love. And you and I cannot know His love until we come to Him. Do we feel welcomed by God? He is the one that invites us. But His welcome of us should influence how we relate to others. Do we welcome others as we have been received? I, I, I think sometimes this is hard to do. Uh, some of us have perhaps grown up with particular perspectives of different people. Some of us may not feel very comfortable in meeting others. Some of us may not really have a lot of influence or friendships in the world. And we may say, Stu, I... I, I don't know. I don't feel that comfortable. I, I'm kind of uncomfortable around meeting new people. I don't know if you have friends for whom this is not a problem. I have friends like that. 
<laughs> and sometimes I'm just like, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, you, you go out and they're talking to everyone, you know. <laughs> they can make friends anywhere, you know. They, they, they seem to, to have this natural openness to people. But I, I, I'm not quite like that, you know. I, I sometimes am shy. I, I sometimes would rather not engage than engage with people. But it's more than just that, isn't it? It's more than just the ability to, to speak to people. It's actually a posture of life. It's a, it's a way of living that says we exist not only for ourselves and the grace that has been given us. We can begin with those closest to us, people in our lives that perhaps need to find someone who would listen to them. Someone who would pray for them. Someone who, like Jesus, would allow others to interrupt, interrupt their agendas. Have you ever realized, have you ever think about Jesus in his ministry? So, so he goes into the home of people that everybody else goes, oh, you shouldn't go there, right? <laughs> and usually when he enters the home of some people, he changes, he makes things better. I think it's really cool to invite Jesus into one's home. But, but I also love that when Jesus did his work, when he did his ministry, he, he was approachable. You know, he, he's, he's in this crowd and this woman just reaches out and just grabs kind of the end of his coat. And, and he knows and he turns and he addresses her. You know, if we want to be like Jesus, I think we have to, uh, to learn to be attentive to people. Uh, you know, uh, this might feel overwhelming for us in this particular season. I, I, I know. But I, I wonder if it could begin by just praying a simple prayer and saying, Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes. It's in the title of this series, which finishes next week. Uh, open my eyes so that I would see people the way that you want me to see them. Open my eyes that I might become the kind of person that offers space for those who don't feel there is a home for them. Open my eyes so that my life would be more than just my concerns, that I would begin to, to see who those are that are thirsty. Maybe you're saying to me, okay, Stu, uh, you made your point. Uh, what does this mean? I, I, I like the scripture because it begins with a simple step. It, it says, and whoever even gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. I think, yeah, you know, giving a cup of water to the disciples is a way of responding to the gift of Christ. You know, that's what Jesus is saying. When my disciples come and you welcome them, even if you just give them a cup of water, you know you are being included. It's, it's, it's a phenomenal scripture. But I want to suggest a different way of hearing it. I want to suggest to you that sometimes instead of us being the ones who offer the cup of water, it must begin with recognizing that we need our thirst quenched. Some of us um, have been drinking from wells that run dry. What I mean by that is, is, is that is that we've tried to kind of find purpose, value, meaning in life in places and situations and circumstances that cannot satisfy the thirst that is within our soul. You know what I love about the symbolism of water? At least in Jesus' time, now we pay for bottled water and for water to be supplied to our house. But in Jesus' time, generally speaking, it was accessible to most people. God makes water come from rocks, you know, in the Old Testament. And there's something significant about the quality of water in this respect, because water is free. It's kind of like grace. <laughs> it's offered to us freely. 
And I wonder if, if, if I don't even know if I'm making the point, friends, but that's okay. I, I wonder if maybe we want to start by identifying the need we have for the living water. I wonder if we want to start by just saying, God, I've been dry for a long time. And my heart's getting small. God, I, I, I need to drink deep from grace. I need to be refreshed, renewed. No, not so much that I can just say, hey, look at me, I'm doing okay, but so that I may be able to offer others the kinds of things that brings life to them. Maybe you are hearing me and you're saying, Stu, I, I'm in a good place with Jesus. I know I'm loved of God, and, and I want to be the one who responds in the right way. I want to I be you know, sharing more than just a cup of water. I want to be using a super soaker and just going crazy. And just, whoever's thirsty, I just want them to drink. I, I, want, to, I want to say to someone like that, uh, if it does not begin with those closest to us, it, it may never begin. I, I've heard some people say to me, they, they say, you know, I, I, I want to first have enough and then I'll be able to give to others, you know. And sometimes, sometimes we're afraid to live this graciously and welcoming and, 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 and sharing what God has given us with others because we're afraid that we will have enough. But Jesus says to his disciples, he says, he, he says you know, in my Father's house are many rooms. You know what he's saying? He says there's enough grace for everybody, there's enough space for everybody. And if you begin to live this way, if you begin to care this way, I most certainly will care for you. So what do you have that you can offer? Maybe it's your time. Maybe uh, someone in your home needs you to slow down and be a husband or be a wife. Maybe your children need you to be a dad or a mom. Maybe you need to be a good brother or sister. Maybe you need to be a good friend. Maybe it, it, is, it is recognizing that there is people in our lives that God has placed there so that we may extend his welcome to them. It won't happen unless some of us come to believe in faith that God truly loves us. As I conclude my thoughts today, I conclude with reminding us of the way in which Jesus lived. It was in a meal, over a meal, that he uh, prepared his disciples for his death. It was as he sat as host at a table with them that he made them aware of what was to come. The Lord's table, as we call it in our tradition, or as it's called elsewhere, the Eucharist or communion, is in some ways a, uh, a sacrament that teaches us to remember the sacrifice of Christ. But today, I want us to remember and celebrate it in a particular way. I want you to think of it as the meal that Christ offers you so that you will no longer thirst and hunger. 
but be filled by His Spirit so that we would become the welcoming people of God. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. <laughs> Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Father, as we receive these symbols of your, your son's sacrifice, May we believe today that Jesus welcomes us and you welcome us. May we know we have a place with you so that we would be placemakers for others. I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. These are the emblems, the symbols of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was broken for us and His blood that was shed for us. Would you eat and drink and give God thanks? Instead of me offering you a blessing and benediction, uh, this morning we're going to sing a song that is a benediction and blessing. And so now would you open your hearts and worship together as we conclude our service.